0: Amen. Well, good morning. I do not mean to start this morning on a downer. I don't believe it's a downer to pray, um, but it has been a very challenging weekend uh, praying uh, for so many in our faith family who are hurting for a variety of reasons, several of whom are in this room. Um, I wish I could give you more specifics at this time, but again, uh, that is not my story to share. And so when these folks are ready to share their stories, they gladly will. Um, but we also have several in, uh, who are not with us today who are sitting uh, in hospitals with family, uh, waiting, hopeful of impending surgeries and impending results to come. And so I just want to make sure that we remember them and lift them up. And uh, man, let's just be a people who care for one another and pray for one another. Well, anyway, having all that said, good morning. Good morning. Um, it is a good morning. It is a gracious morning. God's mercies have been made new and here we are together in worship. I am thankful that you're here. Thankful that you are with us. Uh, we are in First Peter chapter 5 uh, this morning, moving into our final chapter in First Peter together. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you we've got about two more weeks uh, left in First Peter and then naturally we're going to move in. Uh, to Second Peter and roll through that over a couple weeks uh, to kind of go ahead and wrap up what Peter was writing uh, to the alleged exiles that he mentions back in First Peter chapter one. Now this morning I think this is a very appropriate uh, subject for us to talk about uh, this morning as we look at First Peter chapter five and the first four verses. We're going to examine. Just Peter's writing and how it relates to everything that we see happening, not in our world, but I'm specifically speaking to our Christian world, our our Christian influence and Christian bubble, if you will. Because you see, um, I, don't, I don't know what your week was like this week, but for mine, uh, a lot of heartache and grieving amongst our own family members, but for whatever reason this week, by God's grace... Um, I had a wonderful opportunity to sit with a variety of pastors, whether it was in individual conversations or at meetings, um, or even a time of prayer that happened here uh, on our campus this weekend or this week, and it was just—it was a wonder to hear what it is that so many pastors are, are are dealing with and are going through. And by wonder, I don't mean wow, praise God. I mean wow, holy smokes, I cannot believe that is something that they are now dealing with and going through. So. Thinking in terms of that in light of our Christian world, I think this is a very, very good text for our uh, our church to be in this morning. Because you see, we're now living in a day and a time, and I'm not speaking just of our world, but of our Christian world as well, where we are living in a time where our leaders and our elders are constantly coming under scrutiny and they're constantly being questioned or being attacked for a plethora of reasons. But yet, at the same time, in our day and age, we are seeing more and more cases of elders and pastors stepping down because of some sort of scandal that they have now found themselves in. And this seems to be a growing trend in the life of our church. In fact, if you've been paying to, uh, paying attention to the news or the media this past week, you may be thinking of a particular uh, story that just came out recently that we're not going to get into uh, because it seems to be something that we're seeing more and more as each week progresses. And so with that, what's happening in the local church, what I believe is happening in the local church, is we're now seeing a growing trend of a division that is now happening between the trust and the love of the leaders of the church and the elders and pastors of the church, and that particular elder or that particular pastor trust and love for the church as well. A division is being created between elders and between congregation, between pastor and between people. And unfortunately, it's a division that we ourselves have created. So as we look at our text this morning in First Peter chapter 5, Peter is going to specifically write to the church about church leadership and about about how church leadership should be leading during the time of suffering and persecution that Peter was now experiencing along with the local church. At the same time, we're going to see that as a congregation, not only is Peter writing to the church, but he's showing us as the people of God, as the, as the flock under the care of other elders, how we should be praying for one another, how we should be encouraging our leaders, how we should be exhorting our leaders, as Peter talks about, to lead according to the Word of God. So please understand that this morning's message is not in defense of our elders, nor is it a justification or an excuse of anything that has ever ever happened in the life of our church. But rather, what I want us to see is in the midst of a world that is just overridden with critical spirits, we need to see that as the people of God called to shepherd one another according to the word of God, we have been called to care for one another. You see, here's the truth this morning. Leadership is a paradox. That may be a big word for a lot of you. Let me simplify it. Leadership stinks. (laughs) Fancy way of saying paradox, right? It's just hard to be a leader these days. Leadership is both glory and leadership is ruin. Leadership is both a privilege, and at the same time, leadership is torment. When it comes to leaders, people will come beside them in order to assist them, to praise them, to advise them, and to encourage them. But at the same time, those very same people are quick to go to their same leadership and haunt them or criticize them or condemn them and take delight in their heartache and demise. You see, we now live in a day and a time where it's easier to criticize a leader than to actually be a leader. In fact, it was Daniel Doriani in his book who said it this way. He said, when it comes to leadership, every step up is simultaneously a step down. And so here's what's happening in churches all around us in our community. Leaders come into the church wanting to make a difference. Leaders come into a church passionate about seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. They come uh, they come passionate about seeing people grow in their faith, growing in their own personal holiness as they draw closer to God. They come passionate about uh, making changes that draw people closer to God, and not only closer to God, but closer in relationship to one another. And then here is what is happening. After six months to a year, literally just heard this story earlier this week. After six months to a year of constant beating and scrutiny, many of these same leaders become reluctant to lead they then become hesitant to stand in pulpits and preach the truth of the gospel they get so broken over the actions and attitudes and words of other people that they become so thin-skinned that ultimately they leave ministry never to return again and they become unwilling to endure for the case and cause of christ so as a congregation The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what should we be looking for in our leaders? What should we be looking for in our elders? And at the same time, as a congregation, how should we be encouraging or praying for our leaders? Again, you see, here's the truth for us this morning. We, we, like the world, have become too quick to criticize. We, like the world, have become too quick to sit In judgment over one another. And so we've lost our ability to practice grace. We've lost our ability to pray for our leadership and to pray for one another. In fact, I would ask this question this morning, and I'm not sure I really want to know the answer, but this was a question that was posed to me at a meeting I had this past week. And it was this When was the last time as a church we sat down and prayed for our leaders? When was the last time as a church we sat down and and prayed for our elders and encouraged them to live by the standard that was set by God according to his word? So you see, as we look at our text this morning, Peter, after ending his writing about suffering, now turns his attention to the leaders of the church And in writing to both the leaders and also to the church, he's going to call the elders of the church to urgently shepherd the flock in the midst of suffering. And at the same time, he's going to show the church how you can pray and care for those very same elders as they shepherd you. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in 1 Peter chapter. 5. We're going to begin reading uh, in verse 1, and we will stop in verse 4. And I haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to ask you now, if you can, you're able, and you've found your place, to please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you this morning. You see, Peter has already written to the church about how we are strangers in a strange land. We saw that back in 1 Peter chapter 1. He then goes on to give them instruction on how as believers, as strangers living in this strange land, as exiles, elect exiles living in the midst of persecution, uh, we should be living in such a way that we maintain a good moral conduct, both within our homes and also within our community. That whole thing begins when we get to chapter 2. Then from there, we read about the clear explanation expectation of suffering that was coming, which we saw at the end of 2, going into chapter 3, until finally we got through our last chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, where we saw that suffering had come, it had increased, it might have been a little more than what they had anticipated, and yet it was Peter who was still calling the people to persevere in light of their suffering. So in light of this persecution and in light of this suffering, Peter's now going to turn his attention to the leaders of the church, speaking specifically to the elders of the church, and he's going to give them instruction on how they should now lead. But at the same time, in the midst of this instruction, Peter's going to show us how we are called as the flock, as the congregation, how we are called to pray for our elders, and how we are called to encourage our elders as they lead. So notice what happens. Peter opens this passage by drawing a comparison between himself and the elders of the church within verse 1. Read it with me again. Peter says, "So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed." Now Peter already in this first verse gives us three truths that we need to understand right out of the gate from Peter. The first truth being this, Churches had elders. It's been that way all the way back to the Bible. Literally, people have come to me and asked, Pastor, why do you have elders in your church? Is this some newfangled thing that you've created? The answer is, As awesome as that would make me, no. This goes all the way back to biblical time. This was not something, uh, the concept of an elder was not something that was created by the modern church. In fact, you look at Paul's writings, and we see the elders were the normal way that churches were led throughout the New Testament and throughout early church history. In fact, within our own denomination, it wasn't until you got into the 1930s, the 1940s, and then into the 1950s that our denomination began moving away from the concept of elder leadership. So by having elders, we are not doing something new. We are not doing something that's not Biblical, rather, the, the role of an elder has been a studied part of the diet of the local church since the establishment of the church. The second truth we get from Peter is this. Not only the churches have elders, but the elders are called to be shepherds. They're called to be pastors. In fact, this is why many churches today that have elders actually refer to their elders as pastors. You see, these men, as qualified by God according to the word, when we read Paul's word in First and Second Timothy, we see that they are called to shepherd the flock. In other words, it was the elders who were charged with care. It was the elders who were charged with teaching within the church. It was the elders who were charged to hold the church up with the word and to encourage the church with the word. It didn't mean that all of a sudden because elders were shepherds that they were mean-spirited dictators. It doesn't mean that they were meant to be critical. They weren't designed to be abusive men, nor does the word elder mean anything age-specific. Rather, these were biblical, qual- biblically qualified men who were called by God to faithfully lead and shepherd the church. That leads to our third truth that we see from Peter right out of the gate, which is this elders practice oversight, that is their responsibility. When people look at elders, and I only say this because, again, I heard this this past week, where there was a situation at a church where the elders were encouraging a, fa- a family who was in the midst of their sin, and the elder went to them and encouraged them with the word, that family looked at this elder and said, well, who are you to speak into my life? That's an easy answer. It's called the Bible. That's who. The Bible has allowed the elder to speak into the life of people. As a matter of fact, when you look at the role of elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that it is the elder who's called to care and to nurture the church. We see that it's the elder who is called to pray over those who are in need. We see that it's the role of the elder who is called to discipline the church when necessary according to the word of God. And so here is the goal of every elder within the church. The goal is to see God's people grow In holiness. The goal for the elder is to see God's people nurtured and cared for and encouraged as they seek to grow in their own righteousness for the glory of God. So now coming back to our text again in verse 1, Peter, though an apostle, opens by self-identifying with the elders of the local church. He says as a Fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, please notice what Peter is saying here. Peter's not trying to establish himself as some sort of super apostle status, okay? This is not Peter um, living in like biblical social media days going, yo, you're an elder? That's awesome. I'm the dude with the blue check mark by his name. He's not saying that at all, okay? This is not a one-up moment. Peter's not looking at the the elders in the local church saying, hey, cool, you're an elder of a local church, me too, but I'm also an apostle. Mic drop. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody really likes that guy, right? No, I think what Peter is saying here is he's seeking to show the elders that he is with them. Peter, in saying that he is a, a fellow elder, is saying to them, hey, listen, I stand with you. And so in this moment, Peter is seeking to encourage fellow elders with the word of God. And so he continues on with this theme of being an elder and fellow elder when he says to them that he is now a witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now again, this is not Peter saying, listen, elders, I have seen things that you cannot see. I have seen things that you have no idea uh, happened or no idea of what I'm even talking about. No, that's not what Peter's saying. Because the reality is Peter didn't see everything when it came to the suffering of Jesus Christ. He saw most things, but he wasn't there for every single moment. In fact, it was Peter who fled after denying Christ three times. So here's what Peter is saying when he's speaking of being a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's saying, look, elders, local leaders in the church, I am with you, brothers. Like you, I share the words of Jesus Christ. And like you, I seek to explain them so that others may understand. You see, Peter is teaching the elders that their goal is to point people to the word of God. Their goal is to point people to the teachings of Jesus Christ and the understanding of the word of God that then comes with it. So as an elder in the local church, it should be the hope of that elder that in all opportunities, they are seeking to point people to Jesus Christ and the word of God. And praise be to God, that's exactly what our elders do here at Southside Baptist Church. Now, Peter closes verse 1 by saying this. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory. Again, Peter's not trying to elevate his status here. But rather what he's saying is, hey, listen, just as Christ entered into glory, so too will we one day see his glory when we are reunited with him. Notice again that Peter is opening this passage by by seeking to encourage the elders to take a bold stance for Jesus Christ and to continue to proclaim the gospel and to continue to lead your churches in the midst of suffering and in the midst of hardship. And so here's the question for us as a church today. Are we seeking to encourage our own elders to take a bold stance on the word of God? Are we seeking to encourage our elders to keep the word of God in front of us as a church? You see, here's the truth that we need to recognize today. We are not encouraging our leaders when the only time we ever talk to them is to criticize them for what they should have done. We are not encouraging our elders when we seek to ignore them nor allow them to speak into the hard areas of our lives. You see, this is one of those things I don't understand about the modern church. We are called to be a faith family together. And so my question is this, as a faith family, why are we not sharing in our hardships together? Why do we not notify people when we're hurting? Why do we not let people know when we're struggling? Isn't that what it means to be a family? I mean, I couldn't imagine. I, I tried to imagine this scenario in my own house. And I asked my wife about this late last night, which, by the way, I learned a very valuable lesson. Uh, never ask your spouse a question late at night. You may not like the answer. And so I asked my wife, I said, hey, we love each other, right? And she said, of course we do. And I said, okay, good. <laughs> not that I was worried about that. I said, okay, so here's my question for you. We love each other and we're family, right? And she said, absolutely, we're family. I said, how would you feel? If all of a sudden I just disappeared for three days and she said, mm-hmm. y'all know, keep going. And then I said, and what if I just disappeared for three days because I was in the hospital and I just didn't bother telling you, you know what she said to me? She said, you better extend that stay because if you don't, I will. And I thought to myself, how true, how true. If that's how we are as a family, then why not as a, as a faith family? We, I mean, we say to each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, we call each other family. Why do we not not share in our heartaches? Why do we not share in our hardships? I mean, we have no problem sharing in our celebrations, but why do we not allow the faith family to come beside us as we continue to struggle and hurt? You see, as a church, I think we need to do a better job of being honest. I think we need to do a better job of saying, hey, listen, right now, I am struggling. And we need to allow the leaders of our church to speak into that. It's okay. It really is okay. Now, coming back to the text, Peter's going to continue from there. And after establishing this, this common ground between he and the elders and these truths that we've already established, Peter's now going to turn his attention to how the elders should leave and notice, or lead. And notice what he says in verse 2. He says that you are called as elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, again, please don't take a mental break here please hear my heart. I'm not defending or justifying our elders. Rather, what I think is happening in the word of God is we have a moment where we're going to see a part of the calling of the elder, but at the same time as a church, we're going to see our responsibility and how we can continue to care for one another along with our elders. So notice what happens here. Peter's going to encourage the elders, and at the same time, he's going to show us as a church how we can now pray for our elders. So notice that Peter says to the elders that they are now called to shepherd the flock by exercising oversight. And so here's our question before us today. How should elders exercise oversight? And how can we as a church pray for our elders? Robbie Peter gives us three ways this morning. The first being this, it's the second half of verse two. He says, Elders practice oversight not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, Peter must have known that many of the elders in the Roman Empire were under the weight of leading the church. And at the same time, as leaders within the church, they probably shared in the same fear of the suffering and the persecution that had now come before them. In fact, many of the elders probably at this point felt that they were now being forced to lead during a time where they didn't even know if they could keep their own families alive. I mean, think about that for a moment. How many of us are willing to say, I will gladly step up, sign up, and lead when things are hard? I mean, here's a truth that we need to experience this morning. If we were to go find a church that is declining and dying, and you asked them, and they didn't have a pastor or an elder, and you asked them, how many people are, are, are sending you resumes in order to be a pastor? How many people are sending you uh, 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 resumes and asking questions about how they could become an elder for your church? I would imagine in that dying church, nobody would be signing up. But then you flip the script and you find yourself at a highly successful church, or what we define as a highly successful church, that church that's got eight buildings, that church that's got thousands of people, where money is limitless. I would imagine when that pastor retired, probably within the first week, they had a hundred resumes of guys ready to be the pastor. Why is that? Because the reality is this. People want to ride the coattails of success. And the truth is, they don't want to put in the work. You know, it's like what a coach told me. We're getting into sports. I'm not going to talk about yesterday, but we're getting in the sports season now. It's the most wonderful time of year for me. My daughter, Brooklyn, would agree with me. It's pumpkin spice latte season to her, football season to me. I'm good with that. We agree, good season, right? Great, wonderful season. Better than Christmas, in my opinion. But anyway, I am reminded of what a coach said to me many, 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 many moons ago. When he said these words, he said, Championships are won in the weight room. They're not won on the field. They're not won in practice. They're won in the weight room. That thing that you do when no one else is looking, that work that you put in when no one else is around, that's when there is success and that's when there is victory and that's when games are won. You see, I think the thing, I think that same thing is true for us as churches today, especially the Western church. We don't want to put in the work to see a church grow. However, we will gladly find ourselves at other places where it would just be easy for us to be a part of it because we don't want to roll up our sleeves and work. Well, Peter continues, and he says to the elders, he says, listen, I imagine that there is great fear among you. Peter knew that there was intense persecution amongst the elders and at the same time they were probably dealing with the thought of judgment that comes up from being a leader within God's church who may mess things up a time or two and based on these particular two fears I think the elders in Peter's day may have been thinking Peter I did not sign up for this when I thought about leading a church when I thought about becoming an elder in a church I didn't sign up for this I didn't sign up for this outside persecution and then all this division that was going to happen from within and I believe Peter says these words he says no elder you didn't sign up for this but let me tell you, you are covered in grace. So lead in freedom, because Christ is sovereign. Do the job that you have been called to, willingly, and do it with joy. You see, here's something that's not lost on me, and something that's lost in many of our churches. We spend a lot of time in the world in the world bringing an elder on. We pray for our elders. We ask our elders to pray before they get vetted. We then vet our elders. We go through nine months to a year, to a year and a half worth of training. We then introduce the elders to the church. We meet with them. We question them on multiple occasions. And then we pray for them, and they pray for us. And then at some point, there's a vote that happens where we affirm the call that God has now placed on the life of that particular man to lead within the church. And then here's what happens. Within a month of that elder becoming a leader in the church... Something happens, people get upset with him, and now they want that elder fired. I met with a pastor this past week who shared a story with me about a a man who was a pastor of a church in his area. And he said, I met with a pastor and prayed with him this past week, a pastor who had been in his church for two years. And after two years, they were ready to fire him. He said, I went and I did mediation with them. And I asked these leaders who kept telling me all these reasons why they wanted him to go, and yet none of these reasons were even remotely close to being biblical. And so I asked them, give me a biblical reason why you want this man gone. And then they tried to, but they couldn't come up with anything. And so my friend asked them this follow-up question. He said, so what you're telling me is two years ago, you believed that this man was called by God to be here in the position that he is in, and you affirmed that calling on his life, but now all of a sudden you want him gone because you disagree with him? church that makes no sense i mean we're supposed to be a part of the family of god we're supposed to be leading out in grace leading out in kindness leading out in care but yet we are acting more and more like the world when it comes to being critical i think what peter is saying in this first part saying not under compulsion but willingly he's he's reminding the church of this he's saying church allow your leaders to lead You won't always agree with them. You don't always have to agree with them. But if you believe that they were called by God to lead, then trust them to live out that calling. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church, here's Peter's words Pray for your elders that your elders would be able to lead with joy. Elders in the room, our elders, can I, can I encourage you with something that we talk about all the time? Remember the call that has been placed upon your life. And remember that your church family affirms that call. This leads to Peter's second point of how elders should exercise oversight. First he said, not under compulsion, but willingly. Verse 2 again, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Notice now that Peter calls the elders to lead not in a way to where you look to get rich based off the church or to gain any power within the church. In fact, elders should not be the type of men who are jumping into this particular role with the hope of grabbing power or seeking some sort of benefit that they can now hold over the church. And so Peter says, rather, as an elder, what you should be doing is you should be eagerly concerned about the human soul. In other words, elders should be the ones who seek to see the church grow in their love for capital T truth, which is found in the word of God. Elders should be passionate about seeing their people grow in confidence and grow in power of the Holy Spirit and at the same time should be passionate about seeing their people and their flock grow in their hope that is now found in the coming glory of the chief shepherd that is mentioned in verse 4. More on that in a moment. You see, this is an important call of an elder because Paul notes this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, when he says that a day is coming when false teachers will come and bring constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You see, elders are not called to be men who seek power. But rather in humility and in grace, they seek to encourage those under their care and continue to encourage those to grow in their faith. So elders, remember that we are not called to be an elder because we seek power. We're not called to fame. Rather, we are called to serve because we love God's word. We're called to serve because we love God's people. Church, can I say to you, as we think about this truth for our elders, would you pray for your elders? Pray for them to lead in ways that encourage growth. Biblical growth within your lives. Pray for them to avoid the pitfall of personal gain and personal wealth. Pray for them that they will always remain focused On Jesus Christ, because in Christ alone is where we find our true source of strength. Peter continues from there, and he gives us our our third way of how the elders should exercise oversight. He says they exercise oversight not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is what he says in verse 3. Notice here that Peter gives us a glimpse into what happens when an elder is no longer focused on Jesus Christ and when that elder is no longer loves the people within his care. It's amazing how those two almost work simultaneously. If you don't have a passion and love for Jesus Christ, guess what? You're not going to have a passion and love for people either. In fact, he says that this domineering elder is one who is now driven by their love for power. So I want you to hear the warning that is now coming for Peter to the local church and to the elders as well. You see, this domineering elder are these men who are driven by the ego high that comes from flaunting their authority or comes from flaunting their prestige or their dominance over others. This domineering elder is a man who always wants to be seen, a man who always sits up front and who wants others to see that his way is better than the word of God or better yet that his way is better than the local church. This domineering elder is the man who wants titles. He's the man who craves praise. He's the man who who is driven by the fact that others are dependent upon him more than they are dependent upon Jesus Christ. And this domineering elder is the same man, when challenged, will play the wounded hero or will play the victim card as if he's been wronged. Can I say to you this morning from Peter in this text, Elders never sit in the seat of being greater than God. They just don't. Elders are called to point people to Jesus Christ. Elders are called to point people back to the word of God. Elders, like the church, are called to make much of the name of Jesus Christ. So as elders, let's speak truth according to the word of God. And as Peter says on the back half of verse 3, he says being examples to the flock. In other words, elders are called to be the example in personal study. Elders are called to be the example in how to lead their family. Now, it doesn't mean that you sit there and look at an elder's family and think, well, they clearly are having issues with their kids, ergo, they shouldn't be a leader. I mean, if that were the case, we might excommunicate Paul Simpson because of Daniel, right? (laughs) I, that's so bad. Paul's not even here. That's horrible. I just looked at Daniel because he had his eyes down, so that's why I'm picking on your brother. I saw you. <laughs> you thought I was going to get you with your your kids are great. It's Paul's kid that I'm worried about. <laughs> Looking at you, brother. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to edit that out of the recording, by the way. No? Okay, good. Maybe there's some truth to that. <laughs> oh, man. Elders are the ones who are called to be the example in worship. Elders are the ones who are called to be the example of what it means to live on mission. And I'm not saying all this to say to you that elders are elevated. I'm not saying this to say that elders are to be different from the rest of the congregation. In fact, if you go back and read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, and you read the qualifications of a deacon and the qualifications of an elder, I really believe, as I said in those messages as well when we preach through that, that these are the qualifications that all of us should strive for as Christians, right? So here's the thing. I'm not saying these things so that you can see that we're trying to elevate the role of the elder or defend or excuse anything that's ever happened with our elders, but rather what I'm hoping is that we are beginning to see and sense the weight of the call that is placed upon the leadership of the church. I'm praying that we will begin to understand that weight so that we can discern ourselves individually how we can practice more grace when we confront our elders within the church. Now, again, I'm not trying to puff up our elders. I mean, our elders are awesome. They walk in humility. I don't need to puff them up. But the reality is, these men are not perfect. Our elders are are men. Our elders make mistakes. We don't always lead our families well. We sin, we fall short. We need grace. And at the same time, we need help. In fact, there will even come times where 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20 tells us, in speaking of elders who are in continual sin, he says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now again, Peter is speaking to the leadership who's in habitual sin and refuses to change. So this does not mean that we march up to our elders in public and dress them down to expose their sin bare before all of us. However, it does mean that according to both Paul and Peter, we recognize that the leadership of the church is not perfect. We're going to fall short. We're not going to meet the expectation. In fact, we'll probably continue to struggle with sin. Some sins may be so serious in nature that it may call for the dismissal or the leave or the absence of an elder. I pray that that never happens in our church. But as we just saw this past week, it can happen to anyone, anywhere. But the reality is some may just need to repent. And when they do, maybe they just need some extra grace. Either way, let's recognize that even as elders, these men are not called to be perfect. Now, why am I stressing perfection this morning? Because I want us to understand what what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 5. At the same time, it's the same thing that, that Paul talks about in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. The reality is this, is as a church, do not hold your elders to a standard that you are unwilling to hold for yourself. Do you hear that? Do not hold your elders to a standard that you do not hold for yourself. You see, the goal this morning is for every believer to strive to live and to look more like the qualifications of a deacon and elder. And so these qualifications are meant to help us see how we as believers can mature in our faith, which ultimately is the goal for the elder, to see people mature in their faith so that they can then grow in their understanding of the Word of God and therefore build upon what we call our theology, thus then fueling their passion and drive for mission, which ultimately calls all of us to a deeper holiness with God. So elder, can I say to you this morning, on behalf of your church family, continue to be the example for us to follow. Be the example. Elders, we recognize you're not always going to get it right. You're not. Neither will your family. But we don't place that expectation upon you. And it's okay to admit when you're wrong. It really is. Because we get it wrong too. And what we're going to do a better job of is practicing care. And practicing grace. At the same time, church, can I encourage you on behalf of this, the, this teaching from 1 Peter 5. And, and on behalf of the elders, pray for your elders. That again, they would not seek fame or fortune. or Nor would they seek power or prestige. But rather, they would be the examples that all of us now need in the church. Pray that our elders would live out their faith both in action and in word. Now notice what happens. Peter then brings us to our final verse, which leads to a question. Why is living and leading in this way so important when it comes to shepherding the flock and when it comes to the church caring for one another? Peter answers, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice that Peter is saying, listen, it is a privilege to be used by God. It is a privilege to be an agent of, of God and it's gonna get harder in fact we are living in the heart is what Peter says but notice what Peter is saying and when the chief shepherd appears meaning a day is coming where Jesus Christ will return or we will be reunited with him after death as we enter into eternal life and so the harder it gets Peter says the greater the honor the greater the honor because you understand and know why it is that you're suffering. Again, elders serve not for pay, not for recognition, not for power, not for rewards. They serve for the sake of the master. They serve for the chief shepherd. They serve so that one day they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. They serve because they desire for everyone in their care to hear those same words. Church, can I say to you this morning, keep praying for your elder. Pray for them to continue to grow in their faith. Pray for your elders that they will always keep the end goal in sight, recognizing that eternity is coming, and so we are simply preparing for that day. Would you pray for them, helping them to realize that They're not called to seek to serve for our stuff or seek to serve for accolades, but rather they serve because one day they know Jesus Christ is coming again. And so that is the day we prepare for. And like Peter says in the second half of verse four, and on that day when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In other words, what we receive on the day that Christ appears will never be taken from us, and it will never fade. Church, I hope you hear my heart this morning. I am not trying to defend our elders or justify our elders. I am not telling you or beating you into submission to our elders. Rather, my hope is is for us to see and understand not only the call of the elder, but see how we can better pray for our elders. And not only pray for them, but for our elders to continue to see and be encouraged of how they can continue to care for the flock. But I hope and pray that you hear from me the call to care for one another today. You see, I think what I'm trying to say is the same thing that Peter's been trying to say. I think Peter was saying to the church, Church, I love you. I love you. I love our church. I want you to know, in in all these meetings that I had this week, I never once walked away from a meeting going, Thank God I'm at Southside. I didn't say that. I wept with a lot of men this week. We prayed a lot. We read the Word a lot. I I I was running out of Scripture, to be quite honest with you, on how to encourage some guys. But I want you to know something. man. I love you guys. I love our church. I love our people. I love our elders. I'm so thankful for our elders. And I'm thankful they let me pick on them in the middle of a service. But my prayer is that your desire would be like mine. And our desire would match what Peter says right here in the word of God. That we would faithfully serve one another well because we love one another well. You see, in times where leaders are falling, in a time where not only the secular world seeks to devour Christian leaders, but also Christian world now seeks to devour leaders. Right now, we need one another. We need to grow. We need to grow so that we all understand better how we can look more and more like the Imago Dei, the very image of God. You see, when we practice being biblical, when we practice biblical leadership, biblical church, biblical care, when we practice being present with one another in a world full of distractions seeking to rip apart the fabric of the church, when we practice this care, it will be God who is glorified. And in those moments, we will truly understand how we can better care for one another. As one scholar said it this week as I was reading, he said, good shepherds care for their flock and not for the whole world. Church, can I tell you, encourage your elders. Pray for them and encourage them with urgency as the day draws near. Elders, love the church. Shepherd the flock under your care because the day of glory draws near. And my prayer is that in this place, God would be glorified as we seek not being critical, but rather we seek to better care for one another. Let's pray to that end.